Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Wednesday. We're going to do our preview show, Big Game. Coming up this weekend, you got the Trojans, you got the Ducks, USC versus Oregon, Saturday night, 5 p.m. in the Coliseum. We're going to preview that game coming up with Matt Preem. He does a great job covering the Ducks for Duck Territory right here on the 24-7 Sports Network. If you have any questions or comments for the show, drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com. You could also call or text us a question, 424 254 9141 is the number. Please leave us some positive feedback. Tell your friends about the Peristyle Podcast. You got some USC Trojan friends. You want to know about what's going on with USC? Let them know about the Peristyle Podcast. We do appreciate that. Sharing this with your friends really helps us grow the show. And we've been doing this for a long time. It's our 12th football season covering the USC Trojans. So the way this show is going to work, we'll do our preview segment first. And then after that, I'll do a solo segment answering any of the leftover questions you guys have sent in this week. We answered questions with Coach Harvey Hyde. We answered questions with Dan Weber and Keely Yor and myself. And then I'll anything that was left over, because you guys kept sending them in, I'll do my best to answer them in the second half of this show. But first up, we have to talk with Matt Preem. He does a great job, like I said, covering the Ducks. Follow him on Twitter at Matt, P-R-E-H-M, for Duck Territory. Matt, how you doing? Thanks for coming in. Doing good, Ryan. Doing good. Excited for this game. Excited to come down to weather that's going to be 50 degrees warmer than where I'm at right now. It should be pretty warm. It's been nice. It's like, you know, it was actually like 59 degrees earlier today, so we'll see. But it should be pretty warm. It was 30, 32 when I woke up this morning, and temperatures are saying 85 on Saturday, which is very nice for me. Yeah, you won't. You definitely. That's a lot better than the 30 degrees or whatever you guys got up going up there. But let's let's jump in and talk about this game. First of all, what do you think is the biggest reason for Oregon's improvement? on offense. I think they were really talented last year, but maybe didn't see the results. Now I think you're starting to see the results a lot more this year. I think it's two two reasons. Um, the biggest one is that Panay Sewell is healthy. I I think he's the best offensive lineman in the country. He's almost every year, or excuse me, every week on the pro football focus offensive line uh, of the week for the nation, uh, not just the Pac-12. Panay Sewell is going to be a top five, top 10 NFL draft pick in the 2020 NFL draft. The only thing that's keeping him going in this year's draft is he's just not draft eligible because he's a true sophomore. Last year, he got hurt against Washington and missed the last half of the football season. And it was very evident of the impact of that, you know, the next couple of games of, you know, Oregon couldn't get as good of a push. Oregon couldn't uh, protect Herbert for as long on the backside because he was not out on the football field. And so I think that's the obvious one. And then I think they've improved the receiving core um, last year's group. Uh, and whether that's either internal development, you know, I, I think guys like Jalen red and Johnny Johnson, both juniors, um, they have seen significant improvement in their game from when they were sophomores last year. Um, Johnny Johnson was, you could not rely on him to catch a football as a sophomore, which was really weird because he made a ton of big catches as a, as a true freshman, but 
He's really turned things around this year as a junior and as a go-to guy for them. Red has scored a touchdown. He, had, he just had a streak broken where he'd scored six uh, a touchdown in six straight games. So he he was a guy that's really improved his game. And then they've just brought in guys. You know, Micah Pittman, a four-star re- recruit, a top 50 guy in the country. Juwan Johnson is, is a grad transfer. And USC fans might look at Oregon stats and notice he hasn't done much. But he's finally gotten healthy from an injury that's basically kept him out of action for six the first six games of the season. Um, so they've had some improvements at the receiver core and the health of Penae Sewell this week or this season from compared to last year is the big reasons why. Well, Penae Sewell is an absolute stud. Guys like Micah Pittman, highly ranked players, Mace Funa. These are players, Kayvon, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau, that USC was after. I think this is a strange this is going to be a strange occurrence for USC fans to look across the aisle, see these Oregon players that USC wanted badly. Uh, I think 49 players uh, from the state of California and the Cali flock thing going on. How much is the increased, re- you know, the improved recruiting for Mario Cristobal really helped this team? Oh, tremendously. I mean, that, that's always been the issue for Oregon when they line up against USC is they look at USC's depth chart and you could find six or seven guys every year that it was looking like that player was going to sign with Oregon and then either USC offers or USC came in and really turned the heat up in the last six weeks of, of recruiting and, and took over the, the, the recruitment and, and got his commitment. That has always been you know, a kryptonite for Oregon. And then you go down the list, there's always Oregon's always finished second for a lot of guys for USC. And, and you're right, you know, the last couple of seasons, since Cristobal's been here, he's really made recruiting uh, a priority at Oregon. He's elevated it uh, to to standards that we've never seen before at Oregon. And he's now gone into California and he's been able to capitalize on some down years at USC and at UCLA and play into the fact of, Hey, come North. There's, he's really done a really good job of, of recruiting guys that are friends. Um, You know, Thomas Graham and Diamante Lenore and, uh, I want to say Jalen Red and Nick Pickett, those four were all really good friends. They're all juniors from the LA area. They're all starters. Uh, and th- those guys and their relationships with a couple of sophomores on the team and, you know, help sign those guys. And then the sophomores that are friends with a Kayvon Thibodeau or are friends with a Mace Funa or, you know, the, the younger brother of an Austin Folio or, you know, Michael Wright, they've been able to, to go out and, and get those guys to come now to, to Oregon. And, and it's happening again in 2020 and 2021 where they've got some verbal commitments of some L.A. guys. And a big reason for that is that Oregon has signed their friends. And it, it's it started when Crystal Ball got here. And he's he said it this week. This is a huge game on the field. It's also a huge game from a recruiting perspective of going into L.A. and putting together a product on the field that is exciting to watch and because uh, of so many – high-impact recruits that we'll be watching. Justin Herbert, absolute stud at quarterback. Uh, he hasn't run that much this year. Only one pick, so that's an improvement from last year. How would you rate how he's played so far this season? I, I would probably give him a B+. Um, I think there were a couple of games where you you maybe wanted to see him take over and throw a little bit more, be more, be a bit more aggressive. Uh, Auburn being one, you know, Oregon's coaches came out and said that they really didn't take that many downfield shots in that football game because so many receivers were young or uh, inexperienced or just flat out new uh, to the program and they didn't want to throw too much on them. And they said in hindsight, they probably should have been a little bit more aggressive, uh, taking the reins off a little bit. But 
you go watch the Washington game from two weeks ago. Uh, that was two quarterbacks that are in Jacob Eason of Washington and Herbert of Oregon that are going to be picked in the first round. And they were dueling it out. When Herbert Herbert's deal is, I think if if he gets into rhythm, uh, he's a rhythm quarterback. If he gets into rhythm early in the football game, he's going to be really, really good. Uh, like what we saw against Washington this year, what we saw against Stanford last uh, last season when he completed like 28 straight passes or 27 to 20. I can't remember what Gaudi's stat it was. Um, or if he doesn't get into rhythm, you, you kind of see what happened against Washington State, uh, where you know he he didn't throw more than I think twelve passes in the first half, and he was he, he had missed some guys that were that were totally open. But the difference being is is what makes him you know a first round draft pick is when it was a clutch situation and and they needed a you know a drive down the field in the final minute to win the game against the Cougars. He completed all passes. He he threw a couple out, you know, deep outs on, on on the money throws in a game in which he wasn't at his best. And so, um, I I think from the running standpoint, like they they're just not asking him to do that anymore. Uh, the the risk and the reward is is it's too much of a risk for the reward that they're going to get out of it. Um, but he he's he's probably played right about where we would expect. Maybe you know, I, so I'd kind of give him a a B plus grade. C.J. Verdell is leading the Pac-12 in rushing right now. I don't think he started last week. Was there? Was he? Was he motivated by not getting the start? What happened there? Oh yeah, I mean he. So he got hurt against Washington the week before. Did not finish the second half. And in his place, Cyrus Abilakio, uh, another sophomore running back, had 14 carries, 81 yards, and a touchdown in the second half alone against the Huskies. And Oregon has always kind of said that. They're going to roll with the hot hand, and Cyrus was the hot hand that week. He ran, he had he had a period where for three straight weeks he ran for a career high in carries and career high in yards. And Cyrus has always been like the goal line guy. Uh, it it it's kind of a joke because if if you were playing fantasy football, he's a touchdown vulture because he doesn't really come in until the ball gets into the five yard line and he, he pounds it in and scores touchdowns. And the last couple of weeks they've been expanding his role a little bit, seeing what he could do. But Verdell's always been the best back, but up until maybe three weeks ago, four weeks ago, he hasn't had a, a really big game. Uh, and you know, you, you could argue he, he's missing a hole or the offensive line wasn't blocking correctly, but um, the last three or four weeks, he's, he's really kind of turned a corner and he's kind of hit his stride and, he ran for 257. It's the fourth most rushing total uh, by an Oregon running back ever. Uh, it's the the most an Oregon running back has ever ran inside Autzen Stadium. It's not the most ever in a game, but anything higher has come uh, away from home. And so uh, it kind of put, gives you kind of some perspective of where he sits now in the record books of rushing performance compared to uh, other running backs at Oregon. I don't think there's any question that Oregon has the best offensive line in the conference. What does it mean or was it meant to the Ducks offense that group has played so well this year? Oh, it's it's everything. I mean, that that's that's Crystal Ball's position that he he coaches. He helps, you know, he has Alex Maribel, an offensive line coach that helps him there, but you know, you watch practice and we haven't been able to since training camp. When we were in a in training camp and watching practice, that's that's Crystal Ball's baby. You know, he has himself, he has Maribel, and there's always a grad assistant working with the offensive line and then oftentimes there's a fourth you know, sometimes they'll have the tight ends coach, Bobby Williams. You know, they'll, they'll bring the tight ends over to the offensive line and they'll have four coaches working on with five guys in one drill at a time. So, you know, they get a ton of a ton of hands-on coaching. 
they've, they've recruited that position extremely well the last couple of seasons. Uh, and then they've also been a benefactor of having a, a, a very special group. I mean, four, they've got four seniors. They have five seniors along the offensive line, four of which uh, have, have been at Oregon and played and started consistently uh, for this team since they were redshirt freshmen in 2016. Brady Aiello is is a redshirt senior. He's what they call their sixth offensive tackle that starts or the sixth offensive lineman. Um, he doesn't he doesn't start most games anymore because of Dallas Warmack and Panay Sewell, but he gets into the rotation. And, you know, they're very experienced. They're very physical. Uh, and, and they're a group that's got total synergy right now along the offensive line. Looking over to the defensive side of the football, that's a five-game stretch, giving up single-digit points, which was crazy. I gave up some more points over the last couple of weeks playing the Washington schools, but how have you assessed how this uh, Oregon defense has played this year? Yeah, I, I think the, the stretch where they had five straight games of, of nine or less points, it, it's a sign of that they're a good defense and that they have the talent to do special things. But that's kind of what was expected of them, maybe not holding an opponent under 10 uh, every game, but the offenses that they played, I mean, Nevada was, is a bad offense, and they were starting a true freshman quarterback. Montana is an FCS school. Stanford's quarterback, KJ Costello, was severely limited because of an injury on his throwing hand. California's quarterback was starting quarterback was hurt in that football game, so they were playing a backup, and already their offense is limited. And then Colorado was all banged up. And so you look at those games, and they kind of did what, they, what, they, what an elite defense should do, dominate. You know, now the last couple of weeks, they've, they've played significantly better offensive teams in Washington and Washington State. The Cougars lead the conference in scoring and yards. Huskies are, I think, third in the conference in scoring. Um, so, you know, they're, they're playing now the better half of the conference's teams, offensively at least. And, you know, naturally the, the points are going up a little bit and significantly the last two weeks because, you know, I think Washington scored 31 uh, and Washington State scored 35 up against Oregon's defense. So that's a, a significant increase, but you also have to tip the cap to the teams that they're playing and that the, just the competition is greatly improved. Who are some of the stars on this uh, Oregon defense? It looks like uh, Troy Dye is good. One of those stars is going to be back this week. Yeah, Dye will be back. Cristobal announced that on Monday and then again on Wednesday said the same thing, uh, that that Dye has played. He, he, he's practiced every day and he's good to go. And, Kind of really hammering home the fact that he he's telling us that Die is playing um, defensively. Javon Holland has really emerged at the nickelback position. He kind of plays all over the defense. He can play nickel, safety, even corner if they really need him to. Um, he's he's kind of entered the discussion of is he Oregon's best defensive player overall? And that's not a slight to Troy Die. Um, I just think Holland is, has really elevated his game a little bit uh, more than what was expected of him this this season. Uh, and and you've got two corners, Diomede Lenore, Thomas Graham. Graham's a three year starter. He started since he got here. Lenore, this is his second season starting, and you know Oregon's very high on those two guys at the cornerback positions. And then up front, it's going to be Jordan Scott. I think that's the guy that gets lost in the shuffle. Um, he plays nose tackle, and that's a position where you just don't put up stats at that spot because of double teams and, and triple teams even. We've seen Jordan Scott get triple teamed continually. Um, that's going to be another guy to, to to watch because he's very good at at disrupting 
you know, offensive lineman. There's a, there's a, a clip of him against the Huskies from 2018 when he by himself basically stopped the Washington offense on a fourth and one dive play from the, to the quarterback by himself because he blew up the offensive line. Uh, if you like offense and defensive linemen, watch Jordan Scott. Overall, the Ducks lead the nation with 14 picks. Uh, they lead the conference with 23 sacks, third in the country in turnover margin, and USC is last in the conference in turnover margin. And it looks like it's turnovers could always be a big deal, but this is something that Oregon does really well, and USC doesn't do that well. Yeah, it, it's going to be interesting. I mean, you, Washington, or excuse me, Oregon's pass rush—they lost Gus Cumberlander, a defensive end. Oh, what was it? Like three or four weeks ago against Colorado. Uh, excuse me, against California. And ever since that game, they've they've played three games without him. Colorado, Washington, and Washington State. And ever since that game, they have not been able to get to the quarterback as often as they had the previous five games of the season. I'm not going to say Gus Cumberland is the sole reason for that and his loss, but at the same time, you have to acknowledge that you know a key starter from your group is now not playing because of a season-ending injury. And your numbers are going down. Crystal Ball acknowledged that this week, that they've got to do a better job at, at finding ways to get to the quarterback. They didn't. They had one sack against Washington, and that came the final drive uh, against the Huskies. Uh, and then they had another. They had just one sack against Washington State. Now, part of that's scheme. You know, Cougars get the ball out pretty quickly. But there were plenty of opportunities to get sacks, and they just didn't do it. So I, I think if... if if this is going to be a game where if, if USC can protect uh, Slovis at quarterback, you know he's going to have a good amount of time to get get the ball downfield to his receivers because for whatever reason, you know Oregon's pass rush has dipped a little bit since Cumberlander's been out. But if Oregon can, you know, t- I asked Andy Avalos, the defensive coordinator, this week of, you know, what makes this defense so good on third downs. Uh, he mentioned that they're able to, you know, scheme things up, disguise some coverages, and and create pressures. And you know, they were one of nine on third down against the Cougars last week, and that's going to be critical again. If they can get USC into some third and long situations, get them behind schedule, then then you might see the turnover factor play in. But if if they can't, I, it wouldn't surprise me if this is a pretty clean game offensively from both teams. How are the uh, Oregon special teams overall? Punting, they're they're, they're solid there. Blake Maymoan. Um, coverage wise, they're pretty good. Uh, I don't think from a punt return team, Javon Holland is pretty electric with the football, but he hasn't had a return for a touchdown yet. Um, he hasn't had one close to, to breaking in a couple of weeks. So, you know, they've been kind of held in check there going into Washington state week. There was zero confidence in the field goal unit. Um, and then, you know, Camden Lewis had missed a, a chip shot at week one against Auburn. He missed Another chip shot a couple weeks later against a Pac-12 opponent. Uh, he, 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 Oregon didn't make their first field goal of the season until middle of October. But then last week against Washington State, uh, he made three straight, including the game winner. Uh, his first one went for 40 yards, and he's now made five straight. So I, I would say there's probably some optimism, but that kind of, I think, falls on just it's a one-week showing of of Lewis making, you know, three kicks, including a game winner that was a 19-yard or 23-yarder. So part of that maybe be a, a little, some of that confidence might be a little inflated. Um, I definitely think if you, if Oregon has to go into that game and kick a game-winning field goal or or to tie it, probably not fully confident that that Oregon converts on that one. Well, last thing for you before I let you go, Matt. How do you think this game is going to go? I watched all the Pac-12 games. 
it seems like Jekyll and Hyde, almost every team. How do you feel like this one's going to go Saturday night? Yeah, well, USC is different, right? When they're at home, they just play significantly better. So I think you have to factor that in. You have to factor in that, you know, they control their own destiny um, as well in terms of winning the Pac-12 South division. If they went out, they're in the conference championship game. At the same time, Oregon's playing for playoff hopes. And if they lose, they, they know they're done. It doesn't matter who they lose to. You know, that they're not going to make the college football playoffs. So I, I think both teams are going to come in pretty, pretty locked in. I'm expecting a, a close football game. I, I think Oregon wins out because they've got the better offensive line. Um, I think they've got the better quarterback. I think the defensive line is probably going to be a push there um, on both on both sides of the football. But I, I, I think Oregon's going to win a close one. But it, it would shock me if Oregon came in and just dominated. Uh, this football game. I, I'm not expecting uh, a blowout win for Oregon. And it wouldn't surprise me one bit if this game comes down to the last drive for whoever has the football. Matt does a great job covering the Oregon Ducks for DuckTerritory.com. Make sure you check out his stuff. Thanks, Matt. Hey, appreciate it. All right, great stuff from Matt. Let's take a quick break, come back, and I'll answer your questions about this Trojan football team. Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back to the Parastyle Podcast. Want to put your extensive sports knowledge to the test? You can get it done at MyBookie. The college football season is already more than halfway over, and the NFL is in full swing right behind it. It's also time for the NBA and NHL seasons to start, so it's the perfect time to get off the sidelines and get into the action with MyBookie. If you're the kind of person that likes to bet a little to win a lot, try a parlay. Pick your locks for the week, put them together in one parlay bet, and when they all come through, the rewards will be huge. So if you're going to bet this season, do the smart thing and go to MyBookie. No one gives you more ways to win. The best part is, if you join right now, MyBookie will double your first deposit up to $1,000. That's right. You put in $1,000, they give you $1,000. That's double your initial deposit that you can use on all your favorite picks. Use promo code PARASTYLE to activate the offer. That's promo code PARASTYLE to double your cash. Visit MyBookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. All right, let's jump into some of these questions. First up on the USC defense. Hello, my question is, when is USC going to start putting some emphasis on defense? USC hasn't had a good defense since Pete Carroll left 10 years ago. They certainly haven't had a good one under Clay Helton. His teams consistently allow about 26 points per game. Not very good. That the Pac-12 is more of an offensive-minded conference isn't an excuse to not play better defense. It matters. Burt Johnson Downey, C-A-P-S. At least one member of my family, usually more, has been a USC Trojan fan since at least the early 1930s, maybe even a few years before that. Wow, Bert. Awesome. Uh, thanks for the question. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's not something that USC hasn't uh, emphasized. Now, there were some questions about Clancy Pendergast coming back this year, uh, Clay Helton retaining him. They've had some, you know, they've definitely had their moments. You know, they had moments when, you know, leading the nation in sacks or, getting a lot of tipped balls, but we haven't seen like that kind of consistent 
um, domination. Like, look what Oregon did on that five-game stretch, only allowing uh, single-digit points for five games in a row this season. We haven't seen something like that for sure. And uh, I don't think it's not an emphasis on the defensive side of the ball. That's something that Clay Clay Hilton's kind of given up to Clancy Pendergast and let him do that. I mean, I I think, looking in general, it's not like you're saying, well, the offense is coached so well and the defense is not. They still get a bunch of five-star players on defense. I think it's about the same. I would say the deficiencies are probably somewhat equal, not that they've only focused on offense. Now, they've only hired offensive coaches um, since Pete Carroll left. That that could be part of it, too. Um, but I, w- I wouldn't say that, that the defense was somewhat more deficient than what the offense has been. I think there's been a lot of coaching issues, but they've been everywhere. Special teams, offense, defense, all of it. Thanks for the question, though, Bert. Uh, let's go. We got Ray. He's frustrated, Ray, in Southwest Florida. He says, are we satisfied with a road win against a last-place defense in Division One? To all, I know that we are all happy with the road win on a Friday night. Uh, question one, has there ever been a more unsatisfying win? We made their defense look great, considering they're standing in Division One next to last. They run... Uh, Keaton Christian into the line between the tackles, which produced nothing, especially on first down. Um, yeah, I mean, I think as far as if you're a USC fan, not much is going to be satisfying right now, no matter what it is. Uh, it's like your your taste buds have been numbed. So even if you get this amazing meal, it's not going to taste great. And I don't think certainly beating Colorado by much less than what the spread was, uh, giving up a lot of yards to a team that was kind of struggling in the offense the past couple of weeks, was turning the ball over a ton. You mentioned not a great defense and uh, allowing, uh, you know, being able to control USC's offense for a while, little stretches there, but then other times they look great. Um, yeah, I mean, there was definitely issues. So I don't think it's a very satisfying win. I, I, you know, I agree with you there, but it was a win. It was the first road win. It was important. Question two, uh, why not try to get him outside where he's more suited uh, so he's talking about Kristen again. Uh, tackling was horrible as usual. I think his questions are kind of <laughs> try to, if you want to do like multiple questions in a really long paragraph email, maybe kind of keep the subjects uh, tight and and separate. You're like mixing your subjects here. Uh, frustrated Ray. He said the team has little problems uh, everywhere. Yes, they're young, but so do, so are a lot of other division one schools that have young players. This was game eight, not game one. Clay Helton made Colorado sound like Alabama in his press conference. He says we have to work on blank after every game. Really, it's something different every week except the poor tackling. We were lucky to win that game. We shouldn't have to rely on luck. We are better than this. A lot of us fans and alumni are not happy with the inconsistent play. Right, so that was question two. More of a statement. Um, he said, question three, who is to blame? I will give the kids this. They don't ever throw in the towel. That is very true. I know you don't like negative rants, but I've been a Trojan fan since 1962 and a season ticket holder for 20 years till I moved to Florida two years ago. I've been a member of uscfootball.com since 2005. I've seen much better Trojan teams and not much worse over the years, except maybe Petrus's team in the late 90s. Thank you for all you do. Fight on with new coaching. Frustrated Ray in Southwest Florida. Yeah, Ray, I mean, that's who's to blame? I think you put a lot of this on the coaching staff and you know, there was a lot of changes that needed to be made. We talked about this a million times after the 2017 season. Didn't happen. 2018 is a disaster. Then they make coaching changes, but not enough. And they should have made more. And now you're seeing some mediocrity there. Now, USA could go out and beat Oregon uh, this weekend that easily. I could see that happening. 
And then where are you? So, but I, I get it. You're frustrated. Um, this isn't what you signed up for. This The leadership at USC has not put the right people in the right positions for a decade or so, uh, really since Pete Carroll left. I mean, having Pat Hayden, Lynn Swan, complete disasters. And that, you know, so those, that's your leading your athletic department. And then what do you do in the head coaching stuff? You got, you know, Kiffin Sark and Clay Helton. Like, no, these are guys that other programs of your stature wouldn't have hired. So, the, you know, as athletic directors or as head coaches, USC's made hires that no one else in there, basically, you've, you've hired people no one else in your neighborhood would have hired. The Ohio States of the world, the Texases, the Floridas, uh, the Alabamas, the Georgias, the LSUs, they would have hired these people. Um, speaking of LSU, Ed Orgeron, number one in the AP poll. Uh, where, where was he before? Interesting. Uh, let's go to Don. He said, improvements. Is Harold too full of himself? Looks like the only difference between this year and last year is that USC has a real center and they don't quit as a team. Slovis, very average college quarterback. He doesn't like being hit, panics when touched, bad decisions into coverage. Luckily, he has talented receivers. Don, uh, no, I don't think Graham Harrell is too full of himself. I think he's doing what he knows how to do. And I think it's worked pretty well a lot of the times. Um, now, getting your quarterback hurt right out of the gate wasn't uh, wasn't great. And he's had to make some adjustments and, you know, making adjustments to, you know, bigger time college football than North Texas. I, I'm not disappointed in what Graham Harrell's doing. I think, you know, he's doing a pretty good job. And I definitely disagree I don't think Keaton Slovis is an average college quarterback. The fact that he's playing as well as he has as a true freshman, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think you. I think you're looking for reasons to complain because you don't like Clay Helton, and I don't think those are real, uh, actual complaints. Um, he also says, uh, through the eyes of your team, has Helton improved as a coach since he took control four years ago? If so, what facets of coaching has Helton shown improvement on? Hopefully for him, it will help in his next job. It appears Helton doesn't know. What he doesn't know, which is which I think will prevent him from ever being a good coach. Yeah, Don. Now this is more this is a more interesting question. And I think you're right here. What kind of improvements has he shown? I think this year by uh backing away from the offense and letting someone else run it, I think that's uh I think that's an important step. Um but you know, and there's been things that have been said that we haven't necessarily seen have seen implemented. So definitely some issues there. Uh, I think he's very loyal. I think he's kind of a co that, you know, it's, it's sort of the company line sort of thing. He's towing the company line. I feel like those are things that he could kind of break away from his tendencies and really connect with the fans and his team. They get in these routines and like they come up with a plan and they never want to deviate from the plan, even though what you're looking at is like, wow, this isn't working right now. Let's do something different. It took, you know, he really had his hand forced to fire a bunch of the people that he needed to fire last year and he needed to do more and he did it. So I feel like those are aspects where, and that might be something where he learns on the next job. I don't think, I think at this point, you get hired for a job that uh, your resume didn't match, right? His resume did not match head coach at USC. So you're going to do whatever you can to just hold on to it. Are you going to make wholesale changes? So some people say you should have and like, hey, you want to keep it? Start, you got to do things differently. Like start tackling a practice, do things different. He's sticking to his guns. Now, will that change 
if there's a coaching change and he gets another head coaching job? Is he going to have time to assess things? We saw that with Ed Orgeron. Everyone was blaming Ed Orgeron for what he did at Ole Miss. It wasn't the greatest situation, but he learned a lot from that. And he changed a lot of what he did as a head coach after that Ole Miss experience. And you would think, you know, maybe that's going to be the same thing for Clay Helton. But I would say he's not changed a lot of how he's done things. We got this one, a little bit more of a comment. It's uh, from Steve in Beaumont. He says, Dan sounds so much better. Hi, Ryan. Uh, I can live with the hollow, the hollow sound quality. The volume fix is perfect. Uh, thanks, Steve. So we're talking about, we have Dan Weber connected via Skype now instead of um, his cell phone or his landline. And it just sounds a lot better. We'll play with it um, on his end. We're going to make sure that there's no feedback and stuff like that. But it does sound so much more clear. So hope you guys enjoyed that with uh with dan speaking of dan dan class of 1962 he said dan is absolutely right about the decision regarding the head coach has to be made on the overall conduct of the coach it's about leadership which encompasses everything from motivation to game planning to player development to recruiting to hiring the best coaching staff and support staff possible and for being a respected uh public relations head of the program i fault helton for deficiencies in many of these areas but for me it's the most telling in the reliance on excuses for inadequacies and for keeping coaches such as Clancy Pendergast who dictate to the head coach how and when he will do things such as recruiting. I never get the feeling that Clay Helton is a head coach who is directing the program. It appears that he runs a lazy, uninspiring program. Wouldn't recruiting be so much better if every assistant coach was motivated to work tirelessly to keep Southern California kids uh, at home? Clancy should be fired for not keeping Justin Flo, Kayvon Thibodeau, and other national top recruits at home and at USC. Fight on, Dan, in class of 1962. P.S. John McKay and Pete Carroll knew the high school programs and focused on local top recruits. The bulk of the recruits were local kids. Um, yeah, th- thanks, Dan. Appreciate that. No, you're right. And if you want to look at, there was an uh, interesting story. Uh, Dan, uh, Chuck and Spratling wrote it about uh, the Oregon program in the L.A. Times. That is a relentless recruiting program. And they've got the Cali flock, lots of these prospects that were from Southern California that went to Oregon, and they recruit tirelessly. There wouldn't be a Clancy Pendergast on Mario Cristobal's staff because Clancy's not a big recruiter. He does some, but he's just not big into it. Everyone on his staff has to be relentless recruiter. And every recruit you talk to, if you ask them who's recruiting the hardest, they say Oregon. And so USC needs something like that. So I agree with you on that, Dan. There was different aspects of it, but recruiting and how how ferocious they are is the biggest deal. USC's 10th in the Pac-12 right now in a recruiting class, uh, 64th overall. But 10th in the Pac-12, we've never seen anything like this in this era uh, ever. So yeah, I think you got good points there. Uh, one last one, Steve, USC class of 97. He said, any news on the AD front, the athletic director front? Watching the games this weekend, I'll admit, I felt pangs of jealousy watching Coach O lead LSU to a number one ranking while the Trojans had to come from behind to beat a mediocre and bad Colorado team. Does anyone think USC would stand a chance against the LSU team that Orgeron is coaching? It's just a cruel reminder of how utterly unqualified Hayden and Swan were to run the athletic department. The next AD hire is critical and will determine whether USC continues its slide into mediocrity or it joins the college football elite. Now that it is almost November, is there any indication that USC has narrowed its list of AD candidates or has a timeline for announcing the hire? Thanks, fight on, Steve, class of 97. Steve, you hit it on that. Yeah, 
hundred percent, you know, LSU would boat race USC right now. Uh, Ed Orgeron's doing an amazing job down there. USC should have kept Orgeron at the time. Said it then. I'll say it now. Was he the perfect coach? Probably not. But man, and he's and he's a great situation at LSU. I mean, he's perfect fit there. But Pat Hayden didn't look at him as someone that could uh, go to the uh, wine and cheese parties with him. So. That's uh, pretty much why he wasn't going to be retained. He wasn't that kind of guy, but he would go out and win games. USC, I mean, all the decisions Pat Hayden made, if you reverse them, all the big ones, USC would be in a better spot. The biggest one being keeping Ed Orgeron, and I think USC would be in a much, much, much better place right now. As far as timeline, no. I mean, if you listen to uh, uh, Dave Roberts, he was on Trojans Live this week. Um, He's preparing for... You know, they hire an AD soon or they hire an AD a while later. I don't think you can wait a while. I think you have to get someone in soon. I think they're doing a pretty good job of trying to keep keep uh, closed-lipped about what's going on uh, with the AD search. Um, I do think we're going to know something in the next couple of weeks. Uh, that's my gut feeling there. But, you know, we'll see. It's uh, There's a lot at stake. And you're right. You can't keep hiring incompetent people to run your athletic department. And that's what you've done. And so you have to stop doing that, hire someone that's real, that's competent, that's run other athletic departments, and then they come in. And while I've said this a zillion times, you hire a competent athletic director who walks into the USC athletic department and goes, holy crap, I can't believe you guys are a the big time program and this is how you run things and let them make all the necessary changes to put USC in a position to win. And I think you'll fix a lot of the budget problems just by hiring the right head coach, all of that. So stop making decisions. Well, we're USC. We don't have to do things the way other people do things. No, you have to do things in a competent matter. You haven't been, so you got to step it up. If USC just makes a couple of good hires, things will work. It will all fall into place. Like that's all as simple as it is. They were just de- defiant. They didn't want to bring in someone from the outside. They didn't want to bring in someone that's going to do it the right way. Because they had their way of doing it, and no one wanted to have their little fiefdoms, uh, you know, corrupted or in- interrupted. And I think that's what USC's biggest problem is: to get the AD in there, you got to do it, and uh, that's where you go. All right, that's going to wrap it up. Uh, thanks to uh, Matt for coming on and talking about this uh, Oregon Duck team. Hope you guys enjoyed this edition of the Peristyle Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? 
Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 